My name is Jeffrey Wittenhagen, and I'm a published author and collector extraordinaire. My latest book, The Complete NES, was a Kickstarter sensation, is fully funded, and ready to rock and roll. I also have a Patreon book series called The Video Game Culture Chronicles that you could subscribe to at patreon.com slash the subcon3. And we've got guys. Hey, hey. I'm big into uh, no death runs, high score runs, uh, collector of all things, vintage and retro. Uh, pretty much anything video game related. Also collect figures, vinyl, VHS, tap handles, old beer signs, and old beer steins. Please call our number, leave a voicemail or a text message at 262-264-VGBS. Welcome to this, the second part of the Haunted Halloween 85 movie marathon. <laughs> it's Fenguli style. <laughs> Saturday evening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is what we do. So as promised, we will hit the... um. The final level, as we as we promised in the last episode. However, we have a couple of special guests on. They actually were involved with the project, so um, ha- like a complete reason why we actually took an extra few weeks to record our haunted Halloween roll up was because we wanted to make sure we could get these guys on here. So, uh, Tim and Greg, if you could introduce yourselves. Yeah. Hey, what's up? Uh, I'm Greg. I. Uh... I played the role of the director for the game. Um, basically, my job was going between everybody involved um, and talking about the different assets, how to build things out, and uh, I also worked on the sprites. And yeah, my name's Tim, and uh, they call me the publisher. Uh, jack of all trades, do a lot of the business end of it too. Um, but yeah, Greg and I developed the game and take the the ideas to the other guys, and all together we developed the game together. Nice. So, so um, you guys call yourselves then Retrotainment Games, correct? Yes. Yep. And in the first episode, and you'll hear it, we called it Cash and Culture because that's your store. <laughs> you guys have a right, have, right. have multiple stores in Pennsylvania. We're like, yeah, this game was published by Cash and Culture, and we're, you're going to listen to it and be like, God damn it, Retrotainment yeah, Games. No, 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 that's, that's true. <laughs> it though, is that, true. Yeah, that, that's the business that's behind it. But as like a game making studio, you know, we came up with the name Retrotainment Games, which is really cool. It's a great aspect. Um, one thing you mentioned uh, prior to to us starting the podcast was how you do the handoff. And Kyle and I, we've had multiple um, conversations with homebrewers. We've had Slide Dog Studios on the podcast during our season one. We're currently in season two of the podcast right now. Um, in season one, we had Slide Dog on. And typically, like, a homebrew, which is, you know, an aftermarket Nintendo game coming out after the, the market is over and they've moved on. This is well beyond the market of Nintendo. Um, the homebrewer market, usually it's like one dude, maybe two. You guys have an interesting aspect because you're running it more like a small company, which, I mean, as we've talked in the last episode, it really shows in the quality, the nostalgia, the intent. Um, could you like go upon how you guys like produce the game, like how, how everybody's involved? It's interesting to me. Yeah, sure. So that was kind of our approach. Um, when we first started this, we were going to just do it between Tim and I, and I was learning to program, and he was learning to make music, and I was making some graphics and stuff. And uh, as we got more involved, we thought maybe we should try to expand this idea. So we sought out a programmer, and um, we sought out an audio guy and a, another graphics guy. And you know, we were fortunate to find these guys, Damien, who does the uh, 6502 assembly code uh zach who does the background graphics and then thomas who does all of the audio so when we generally generally the process is tim and i will get together we talk about the idea uh we 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 work on one level at a time like with uh, 85 you know start with the school okay what needs to be in the school what should it look like what should the perspective be and then generally i take those ideas to zach and he starts to kind of do a mock-up of the backgrounds and then we deliver those assets to thomas who can kind of he can kind of fly on his own making some music beforehand and then matching it up to where he sees fit or he feeds off the environment that's created and makes the music and then of course we deliver all this stuff to damien and he's the mastermind behind the code who makes it all work 
Wow. Kyle, Kyle what's your thought process on this? Because I don't know if you're thinking what I'm thinking. Well, to me, it's uh, it's like Konami, how each person had the, like their own wheelhouse, and you're you're actually focusing on one particular thing, which makes everything quality. Exactly what I was thinking as well. Like this is why we because we mentioned this in the first part of Haunted Halloween that this game feels like a niche throwback to older games, and it's hitting nostalgia buttons in different levels. And as we were talking through the episode, we were hitting different nostalgia buttons as we would get through things, such as you know the graphical aspects of the character, and then you have the play mechanics, and you have the, the we didn't even go into the music, which, I mean, that's outstanding. But it's like every little aspect, and... The fact that you have multiple individuals delivering parts of that actually makes a lot of sense to why it turned out like it did. I think we I think we departmentalize well, which really helps us keep focus. And hopefully that's what you're talking about in terms of getting a quality product on the screen that's coherent. Yes. Exactly. Well, and the fact that most homebrew games don't seem to have that quality control aspect Typically, like, with, like, K-Han games, for example, it's Kevin Hanley freaking programming it. Right. And if people do- doing it all. And if people don't like it, he's like, screw you, this is my idea. Whereas you guys seem to have a, all right, hey, dude, this background looks amazing, let's tweak it to this, and then let's, you know, develop the music from it. And it all, like, builds to something that yeah. feels like a bigger product, and it shows the effort you guys are putting into it. Yeah, like like in the second level, a perfect example that we mentioned in the last episode. Mm-hmm. So the sun's setting, and by the end of the level, by the time you know you're deep into the woods, it, the sun is set. So it's like just those little things too shows like the love. Like you know, let's like have this be a progression. Like this, you're traveling through these environments, but yet you know there's a day to night kind of progression slowly, and it it, it draws you in, and it, it makes you feel like you are in it. Yeah, that's great. You're part of it's part um, of a story, uh, and that's huge. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm really glad that that stuff reads to you guys because we put a lot of time and effort into that, and it, you know, with all the restrictions of the NES, um, it's hard to do things like that. We really wanted to make, you know, kind of like in Rygar where the sun traveled along the screen with you. Mm-hmm. We wanted yes. to try to have that sort you know incorporate something similar to that but we just weren't we just couldn't make that happen so we had to find new ways of doing it like you're saying in the woods where it's basically you're in the main part of the woods and you can see the sun and as you progress through the woods the sun gets a little bit lower when you see it through the trees then of course you go down into the cave and by the time you make your way up out of the cave now the sun has set and the you you know and obviously Uh the bigfoot fight at the end the, the you know the moon's up and it's dark Right. Yeah, and that's wonderful. It's fucking I mean, genius. <laughs> such attention to detail. <laughs> Love it, man. Well, yeah, the, the escalation <laughs> yeah, of evil thanks. through the night was really key for us. We wanted to show from the beginning of the day where Donnie wakes up until the end when he battles Harry. We really wanted to capture that, and I'm glad you guys see that. Yeah. And and when we say we dig deep, we, we don't we don't fuck around with these games. Yeah, we no kidding. Like, no, like, that, this... <laughs> I was just going to say this is a new perspective for us because we don't usually get to talk to people who have dug this deep into the game. A lot of the um, discussion we have is one-on-one with people right there playing the game. And so they're only looking at one or maybe two levels, and they, they haven't picked up on all of these things yet. So it's really cool that you guys are doing this. Yeah, it's, it's really awesome. Oh, it, was, it was hilarious, too, because we, we, we talked about it in, in um, episode one. But one of our old co-hosts, which she's still a co-host, but whenever we do like RPG episodes... Um, Daria, she did like a, a let's play on her channel of your your game like early on. Yeah. And one of yeah. her one of her subscribers commented and goes, "How did you how did you feel about the uh, the werewolf boss?" And she's like, "Oh, there's no werewolf. It's a Sasquatch." And, <laughs> and the guy's like, "That's how we know you haven't played through the game." <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought her review overall was good. Yeah, it was very. Uh, I guess she just didn't make it that far. Yeah, she she uh, probably uh, she's more of an RPG style gamer, and she's established that throughout our podcast. And yeah. she loves homebrews, though. So the fact that you guys are building a new game, even though it's not in her genre wheelhouse, like we've kind of forced her to do some some platformers through homework, and she's pain <laughs> begrudgingly done it with us, which is hilarious. But um, 
our our recording um limitations where we just record whenever we want like she's kind of off doing her videos which is great too but yeah she she definitely didn't dig as deep as guys as as we do (laughs) (laughs) yeah thing was like when i would play you know the first time that i died with with continue was at the birds at the mall myself as well yeah and i was talking to some people at the uh midwest gaming classic where they were also demoing the game and then they were playing it in the Nintendo Age room as well. And pretty much uh, everyone who walked in the room was like, holy shit, what is this, you know? This looks great. Well, the, what was the classic guy, Kyle? He's like, oh, I remember playing that as a kid. I remember <laughs> yeah, this game. Oh, yeah, we get a lot of that. Because like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're probably just getting back into the hobby, and it's like they remember something kind of like that. And, and actually, like, how we explained your sprite graphic is it's kind of like those... Uh, Perler bead sprite arts of a Mega Man character meant to look like you. And that's what Donnie is. Is like He's like a representation of a Nintendo character, a combination of like Mega Man, but River City Ransom, obviously. There's some aspects. Yeah, Alex Cuneo. And, and it's a complete new sprite in that style, and it gives off a nostalgia feel to it that like holds up, which is great. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm glad you guys uh, pick up on this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, some people just assume they've actually told us they're like, oh, you just reskinned Splatterhouse or <laughs> River City Ransom or something like that. And we kind of have to explain to them, like, no, this was all really, you know, created from scratch. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's that I, I being part of the homebrew community. Like, I know for a fact it's 100 percent programmed from the ground up. Like, you can tell. And you can tell that you just took inspiration, which is perfect. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, Yeah, we were talking about certain aspects of levels, like when you go through the movie theater and there's the FBI warning screen, the winners don't use drugs. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and while you're doing that, you go behind the screen and you see his eyes instead of, you know, in the front. It's like little touches. Right. Those were some of the things that, um, you know, we weren't sure when we first started making the game that we were even going to be able to pull some of that stuff off. But as we got more comfortable as a team, you know, coming up with the ideas and then seeing them through to fruition, uh, that was really kind of a special thing for us. Because, like I said, we at first we weren't sure what we could even do here. And as we got a little more confident, uh, we started doing some things like that. Like you said, with where you see the silhouette of Donnie, but just see his eyes in front of the movie screen. You know, we had no idea how that was going to play on screen and were people going to understand what was happening there. But, it, you know, the response was overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, it was great. And then, then once you leave, you have the classic signs. I think I saw the, yeah, the so Goonies. Uh, whose idea was Nightmare it to put Street, part two. The, the movie posters in there, like Nightmare 2. Commando, I think, was in oh, there. Oh, that, yeah, actually um, – so Tim has been huge on adding a lot of the nostalgia stuff, but the uh, movie poster thing, most of those came from Zach himself. And I don't know if you guys have picked up on what all they are. Well, there's definitely Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Um, Goonies. Goonies. And Commandos in there. Yeah. And then, so there's a, a French film called Subway that I had never heard of, and Zach put it in there, and because it's one of his favorite films from the 80s. Wow. And, uh, yeah, Let's it, it, it out. came out in 1985, and so he just kind of threw that in there. Uh, so, And then another movie called The Exterminator, um, and I believe that's it. Oh, and then there's a few listed on the actual... Um, on the marquee, yeah. Concession stand. Right, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Now I have to look up. It was you said it was from 1985. Yeah. It's oh shit! I just looked up the box art. It's definitely in the game. Nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah, we really worked hard to try to keep a ton of nostalgic references, 85 references, littered throughout the game. Some people pick up on some of the the big ones. Some people aren't seeing all of them, but uh, I, I think you guys have probably seen every one. I think it's a certain kind of person, and it's just like, I like relate to the stuff that you're into, so it's just kind of like, oh, this is like great, you know? To me, it's like you're talking to me. Right. Uh, it's, we're, we're horror fans. 
Yeah, so like the mall, oh yeah, big time retro horror fans like the mall with like Dawn of the Dead. You know, right, that's what I think. Well, yeah, that mall is based on the mall that we grew up going to in the food court. Birds, we actually had birds for in the mall in the food court. That was the that was <laughs> that was the beginnings of the idea for the food court birds, which were the boss at the end of the mall. Yeah, the Thompson Center in Chicago, where I work, has that too. Yeah, that's that's a great story, though. You know, it's that's awesome, and that that's cool that it has like a personalized nostalgia. Yeah, too. Oh, there there and, is a ton of personal stuff in there, and and the fact that that personal nostalgia also goes to the Hitchcock film, The Birds. Right. Sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah if you want yeah. to see that, yeah. Well, because I mean, because you got to think about it from a I don't get your niche uh, story. Well, you got Harry and the Hendersons with the Bigfoot. You have the first level boss, which you're fighting essentially a, li- a stack of library cards, but that goes back to the first scene in Ghostbusters true. and Poltergeist. Yeah. True, true. Right, with the symmetrical Possessed. book stacking and the card catalog right. possessed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, Greg, these guys are pretty sharp, huh? Uh, yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we, we overanalyze things for, for a living. It's what we do, man. <laughs> I think you've been 100% correct to this point. <laughs> and um and then we can get into like the glitching out the game because like I've done quite a few beta testing and I tend to break things that are released. Like um <laughs> there was Fixed Felix Jr. that came out for the Genesis and after its initial release I broke the game to the point where he had to re release a patch later. He didn't tell anybody. Oh wow. <laughs> wow. Like, the Wittenhagen patch. Yeah. But we we didn't break. We never broke your game. We were just able to have fun glitches, like classic Nintendo-style glitches. I had two main questions, the two I could not figure out for the life of me. Mm -hmm. The first one was in the mall at the certain area where it's like you're jumping over um, certain, like, broken platforms. And then you reach an area where the, the potion ooze deal is, like, the very top of the screen. And there's like yeah. a column there, and I was like trying to jump. I almost got through the column once, okay. But I I couldn't for the life of me figure out how to get to the very top of that. There's a, there's a way there's a way to do it. You're close about jumping through the column. Um, I call it uh, the elevator glitch because you can get it to uh, at Double on the edges of certain things. Yeah, and you can just kind of ride up the vertical blocking inside the game. Right. So you just pretty much like hump the wall. <laughs> it's yeah, it's I mean it's a lot of trial and error. Like I, it takes me a couple times to get it. Um, but once you once you find the sweet spot there, you'll be able to kind of you know like I said like just ride up the vertical blocking there where that column's busted out. Yeah, see that wasn't even a glitch that I found. I find like probably weird ones. I found different <laughs> ones than Kyle did too. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear these. And is that the same when you leave the silo in level four with Cornfield? The silo, when you leave the silo, there's one really high up? Yeah, nope, different glitch there. Uh, okay, yeah, so so that was one glitch that I found. Like, as soon as you go into the silo, the, I would call it the bottom left part of the silo. Mm-hmm. Um, when I would go to the right, because there's like an item in the top left corner. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If I jumped off of the the there was like maybe one or two stacks up on the right side. If I jump off at the right time, I'll like fall through the ground and come up near the top and almost get that item. <laughs> oh, well, I, I might not have seen that one. Yeah. I, I don't know that one. And I did it like twice and I couldn't reproduce it like in later playthroughs. I did my first playthrough. Once you exit the silo, there's a serum soda just floating up in the sky there and you have to jump, you have to jump back against the silo and hit the right spot above the door and you'll like teleport to the top of the screen and fall down and yeah, grab the soda. That's it. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. See, so there's some kind of teleport aspect in that bottom I left corner it. too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what you're hitting. Yeah. The on teleporting. There. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about that shit. It just happened randomly for me, which is, it's great. Yeah. So, so what you're, you're saying is there's lots of fucking secrets everywhere. Then we need to fuck around with more. There's plenty of secrets, and I'm sure there's plenty of secrets that you know Tim and I may not even be aware of. So one of the other glitches that I found, um, and I don't even know if it's a glitch, it's just more like a, a funny thing, is like there's a spot where you can get above birds, 
<laughs> and then you can just yeah. stand there and they go, and, eh! and they just freak out. <laughs> and they right. freak the fuck out. <laughs> oh, yeah, you, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and if you like, you can lead birds, and if you lead like a bunch of them, <laughs> they go, it gets really fucking crazy with like two or three birds when you do it. When you like lead a couple birds on a screen and then stand above like three of them. Yeah. You're saying? It's yeah, they all start freaking out, right? <laughs> yeah, actually, well, the, the first time I, I saw that, I think it was Zach that I showed, and uh, I was like, "What do you think about Zach? Should we, this Zach? Should we leave it in?" And he was like, "Honestly, that will annoy the fuck out of people so much they'll just quit doing it." So I was like, "Okay, that works. We'll leave it." <laughs> oh, definitely leave it. That was great. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it kind of makes sense because it tries to drop, but then realizes that there's nowhere to drop because it's on the same level. So then it just freaks. Right, and to yes. try to add any sort of uh, it, like error handling to that, where something where either what's it going to do? It's going to sit on the screen and, and not do anything, or we did we definitely didn't want it to do an upward attack because that would change too many of the dynamics in the code. So it was like you know it's not really broken; it's just annoying. So if mm-hmm. a player wants to stand above a bird and and that entertains them, then fantastic. Oh, it's perfect. You got right, to leave like, it. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, like, just the environments, too. I just got to think, like, as, as a fan of, you know, like classic horror, it's got to be so fun just thinking of, like, new environments, especially for 86. Oh, that's that's some of the best stuff, is trying to dream up the new environments and the, and the references. That's my favorite part of developing the game, for sure. I would love that, yeah. See, see I think the fact that you have those multiple roles within the, uh, the company... I think that's going to lead you guys further than other homebrewers because hmm. you guys have a passion on each level. So you're going to have the passion to all the different aspects of the new game. And then you get the other guys motivated to do the other pieces instead of a guy programs the entire game by himself. And now he needs a year or two off because he's spent. Yeah, I think that. <laughs> That'll be a, a large part of it is that if you take someone like Kevin or like look at Lizard, you know, that game looks like it's going to be spectacular. Absolutely. Um, but that's so much work for one man to do. You oh, know, yeah. it's like how how are you, how are you going to be able to keep up production? Like if people want a sequel to that, are you going to be able to do it? Um you know, mm-hmm. in any sort of reasonable time frame or anything, but it's I do I totally respect these guys where it's one man or two guys and they're just sitting in their basement or bedroom, you know, banging this stuff out night after night after night. It it's mm-hmm. really cool and it's nice to see a game that is a single vision, you know, just one person's vision. I think that's really awesome and I think that's going to help Lizard be an exceptional game. But for the stuff that we're making, it's it's a little bit different and um I, I think what you guys are saying is right that because we kind of have a little more specialized roles, we're able to, you know, we can keep banging out games, um, keep keep making this stuff, and keep making them entertaining for people. So it's banging out quality games is the key because you know you also have like the other individuals like the Super Bat Puncher, which that game is poised to be like the best homebrew of all time, and then it's only had a demo for the last four years. Oh yeah, that game looks amazing. I'd I'd love to see that come about. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I, and I've talked to him, and he's not finishing it anytime no. soon. He just doesn't care to finish. It. He's like, yeah, I don't have time. That was his mentality. I'm like, really? Well, that's a shame. Yeah, because I know a few people who have just, they they were banging them out, and then it got slower and slower because you get more burned out. And the thing is, when you're with a team, you you can, like, encourage each other and build off each other and get sharper off each other. And that's the thing. Um, You almost, some, the people who don't have that, you know, they don't have someone pushing them. I think that's a big part of it, too. They just get out of it and get into something else. You when know? you're an individual publisher, you get two different aspects. You get the battle kid, where he puts out a fucking amazing game, he's able to put out a sequel, and then he gets burnt out, and then he just kind of programs a little bit here and there, because that's what Savak's been doing. Yeah. Or you get the, the Vetrix aspect, where he puts out games, he's talented as shit, because he put out... um like Kevin Power, the newer one that just came out, brought some amazing games. However, they're all tiny games. They're all small. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so hard. I can't, I can't imagine how much work those guys put in being one or two man crews and oh being God. able to put out a complete game. I mean, that it's so impressive. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I, 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 it's awesome. The, the thing is, though, is that you guys are going to be able to do something 
different than what's being done in the homebrew community from the fact that you guys will be a retrotainment games. You're doing what Collector Vision wants to do. Okay, I respect that. Because you guys are putting out the games. Like, they want to be a company that gets together, melds people together, and puts out games. Uh, they're just not able to get the games out in a timely fashion because they're going 16-bit. Like, they've gotten out some of their ColecoVision style, but, like, they're, they're uh, Ju- Justice Beaver and Sydney Hunter. Like, they're going to be amazing, but they're shooting high. Yeah, well, to move on to that 16-bit generation, I mean, that's a huge step. That's a big job. Um, just in the fact that, like, the audio is all sample-based, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, there's four different background layers and stuff, so you can't, I mean, you you have to put in a lot of work to make a game look, at, you know, even relatively good compared to other 16-bit games. And to put things into perspective... Because I am doing a homebrew book in the future. There's 200 plus Nintendo homebrews with games getting announced all the time. There's a dude who announced an ASCII wrestling game today with rigs. Yes, which looks cool. I have a copy on the way already, by the oh, way. Oh, you did? Um, nice. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but compared to Super Nintendo, there's about 20. <laughs> oh, yeah. The difficulty uh, curve is just so steep. As you know from talking to us, like I dig deep. I have a, a German game that was programmed that's an infinite runner where you're a cat riding on a fucking rocket, and it looks like old-school drawing graphics. That's a fucking Super Nintendo <laughs> homebrew game. Like it is, yeah. It's not even a game. It's a it's a app. It's basically an iPhone app on a Super Nintendo. But like it's it was probably ridiculous for that dude to program even that into the Super Nintendo. Yeah. And, you know, so we get people all the time asking us if we're, oh, you guys going to do Super Nintendo next. And as much as we would love to do that, you know, our focus right now is definitely on the NES. Uh, It's just, you know, we just love the system and we feel like we're in a pretty good groove right now. And, you know, we'd like to just keep running with the NES for the foreseeable future. And then as maybe as we grow the team or maybe as we get better at our individual skills, we could move on to the 16-bit generation. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's good to hold off because I, I see things in twofold. The first is that there's no tools available for the Super Nintendo like there's for the Nintendo from a programming mm-hmm. perspective. Um, it's just because it's so difficult, they're not out there yet to make it easier to program. The other aspect is I see Nintendo homebrewing right now. It started to blow up in 2009-ish with Battle Kid coming out. Um, and announced and all that. And, it, and that started because of um, homebrew. Um, there was a homebrew articles on Nintendo Age. And essentially that jump-started a lot of people, got people interested, they started to learn. Now you're getting to the point where people are developing tools, they're figuring out new ways to do shit, they're bringing out other... And everybody's coming out of the woodwork. I think we're heading into what's called the like the later generation of of a game system, we're hitting that in homebrewing now. So you guys are at the perfect time where you're going to be out with a ton of fucking amazing games all coming out now. Because you have like, your games have come out that have felt more like a real game. Um, you also had like Mystic Searches is on the way. The Legends of Aulia was just released, which was like a Zelda yeah. style game. That game right. was outstanding. I destroyed. That looks amazing. I, I destroyed. I was the first person to beat it. I think I destroyed that game. It was so awesome. Nice. There's cryptic shit in that game. Though. Cool. Um, Very cool. Yeah, just to beat it. But the thing is, though, is that we're we're hitting a, a nice silver. I wouldn't say the golden age. I would say a silver age of Nintendo <laughs> homebrewing. Like, we're getting some classics out here. And and I think as people keep programming and don't jump ship to the Super Nintendo, I think it's just going to get better. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with you there, Jeff. I think that, uh, you know, you're, you're starting to see another level of quality of games coming out. And I only got to see Alia at... Uh, up Midwest and mm-hmm. just play it briefly, but I was so impressed with how smooth everything was and just how good it looked. And like, you know, Derek's a cool dude, and he was saying like it's going to be a significant step up from um, uh, Storm in the Castle, and mm-hmm. it was just like, I, I mean, it really is. It's like, uh, you know, he he's really got a winner on his hands there. Oh, it's it's outstanding. It's it's for me, it was like not difficult 
the whole time I played it. I there was never a chance where I felt like I was gonna die, even in boss battles. Because it, it, I mean, I'm I'm a Zelda fanatic, so it's more so the controls were spot on. Um, it was the puzzles. Some of those were ridiculous. It was to the point where we had threads because people were asking me for help because they couldn't get past a few puzzles. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's that's great. And, I mean, that just shows how interested people are in this stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Playing through this game, it felt like back in, you know, like when we were going to elementary school playing Zelda, like there was no online to like look up where to go. So it was like, yeah. like how do you get to that one part, dude? Like, it's like, how the fuck do you beat the, the, the birds without getting hit? That was our first one. Yeah. Because we both got game over. And then we got to the damn scarecrows. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. No, they're badass. Playing the birds on very hard, though. Holy shit. Yeah, Kyle actually, in the first episode, compares playing the birds to one of the most difficult boss battles he's had. Playing the birds on very hard, though, because you can only get hit twice. Yeah, it's definitely, I, I mean, the, the birds are no joke. They they don't look very menacing coming out of that birdcage there, but uh, they, they can really chew away at your at your health, like in a matter of seconds. And that's one of the, that's to us, that was meant to be a, a turning point in the game, where up and up to that point, a novice could, could run through the game because it's not super difficult. There's some difficult uh, moments in the game, but nothing's like overwhelmingly difficult. But mm-hmm. once you get to the food court birds, that's when it's like, okay, shit hit the fan and it's serious now. And then, of course, you roll into the cornfield where the difficulty level ramps up. Yes, the Scarecrow right. Twins. And you have to fight the crow while you're fighting the boss, which I actually found to be good because you could kind of farm that crow for health. Yeah. Especially in very hard because every hit is like huge. Right, and that was a that was a distinct give and take that we had. Uh, we actually had two crows flying around during the uh, scarecrow battle. Uh, <laughs> that that proved to be a little bit too much because you couldn't farm them at that point. That's uh, brutal. But, <laughs> yeah, so uh, everybody everybody bitches about that crow being there, but I'm like, you know, just use it to your advantage. Just use it to get health back. Right. Oh no, if, if the crow the wasn't there, it would be too easy. Yeah, well, that's that's well, that was my thoughts, and yeah. I, you know, Tim did a good job of like reeling me in because I have I I really wanted to make the game more difficult than it needed to be, and he was like, "You got to be reasonable here, you know. You don't want people to hate this." Right. Yeah. We 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 had a lot of shouting battles about him <laughs> trying to make the game just completely ridiculous because that's what Greg will do. Okay, so 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 Greg, I have a um, I have a fan request for for you, Greg, and Kyle's thinking the same thing because we we are on the same wavelength at all times. I don't know how we are. Yeah, we want we okay. want we want a Greg Master Quest version. Oh my! No, you don't want that. You want you oh, don't yeah. want that. Oh no, we do. Oh, <laughs> we want a master. We want a mastery world because I we both beat it on very hard. What what what's going? on? We need a nightmare mode. <laughs> I like Nightmare Mode. That's a cool idea. That's actually a very cool idea. I mean, I could go back to some of the early builds, and uh, maybe I could just get you guys some of those to see kind of where we were at early on. Oh, yeah. Part of the problem was that I did all of the like the playtesting early on. It was just basically me and the programmer uh, you know, going back and forth with that stuff, and I was just trying to break the game and find glitches. And so... I, you know, you just naturally get good at the game doing that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm, yeah. th- then I would just run through it and it'd be like, this is too easy. This is too easy. It's not going to be a challenge for anybody. So I kept like, and we need an enemy here. We need an obstacle there. Like there's got to be a pitfall here because you can just fly right past this stuff. And then when I'd see other people play it, I'm like, oh dear, you really got to back <laughs> this off. <laughs> and the, the irony is I'm to the point now where I can fly past shit. Like, and I, I was playing it uh, yesterday just to brush back up on it after not playing it for a few weeks. And I was able to, like, basically run through levels with barely killing anything if I wanted to. <laughs> like the- yeah, and the, a lot of the game is set up like that. I, I don't I don't know if you guys have tried just running it, but yes. there's a lot of um, specific things in the game where enemies come out at the exact moment so that you can, like, jump over the enemy and the pitfall that's after the enemy if you hit the exact right timing, 
uh, so you know, for people who felt like speed running. It. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's the thing about uh, Castlevania and the first Gaiden. A lot of people don't realize. Uh, two of my favorites. If you just keep moving, the problems don't stack. Like you just mm-hmm. gotta keep sprite moving. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm not yeah. very good at uh, Castlevania. Um, Ninja Gaiden, I definitely got better. That's that was the big thing that I learned is like just keep moving. Yeah, and and actually, like the the complexity of programming the game to you know make it doable from a combat perspective, and then be able to also have the, the speed running is genius too. It's a, it's a different aspect. And there's like a stack up thing with like even like Castlevania with little hunchbacks. If you sit in a certain area, all of a sudden there's like four hunchbacks all jumping at you at the same time. Right, they right. They respawn the sprite. So, you know, if you only would just kill that one and then just... The, to me, it's just the best thing is just kill what's in front of you and just keep moving instead of trying to avoid it. But then there's the cool thing where you could just jump over everything, which you probably... You guys probably got to. You probably just, like... When you do a speed run, it's probably badass. I'd love to see it. <laughs> I, yeah, now, now that... I mean, you guys are kind of motivating me to do this. Right, Maybe exactly. I make a video yeah. just running through it. You guys can send me your video and we can kind of sure. compare and, and, and learn. Because I know that there's things that if I had more time, you know, I'd be able to figure out a quicker way through a different section. Uh, but, you know, when it came down to crunch time at the end... Uh, to you know, in order to release the game, I just had to stop doing stuff like that. So I'm sure that there's that, that you guys would be able to show me a trick or two. Right. Just remember, Greg, we got a game to make, so you know, stay yeah, focused. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the thing. That would be like, like we're saying we want a nightmare mode. Just think about it for '86. Just we have yeah. to put in a code, yeah. and all of a sudden, very hard. There's a nightmare mode, and it has some crazy shit in there because. You know, your difficulties were basically removing health, essentially, in the first game. So mm-hmm. you could, you could right. still do that, but then Greg mode. <laughs> you know, it's right. like, 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 like MVS mode on the Neo Geo. You had MVS difficulty. You have Greg difficulty for the uh, <laughs> retro chain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Greg difficulty is rough. Yeah, that, it's outstanding. Yeah, I'll say the biggest thing that helped me was the uppercut through the whole game. Especially, like, in the silo with the ghost, the uppercut... It's just sometimes you don't even think it'll work, but it does. When shit's coming at you from above. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah it'll get you out of the jam. Yeah, like killing the crows with the uppercut's like really fancy schmancy, too. That's also cool that you guys put that in there because the crow drops. So if you time it right, bam. I just love that how there's that uh, little fighting aspect to it, which, um, which for 86... Jeff and I were saying, it'd be cool if you could have the kicks and stuff, and then you guys mentioned with Tammy right. how she's going to be, like, the kick-type character. So that's amazing. Are you guys... Yeah. What, what are your guys' thoughts on the crows? Because we catch a lot of flack for the crows. What's the deal? Why do you catch flack? Because yeah. people say you can't see them. Well, that's great. Like, because you can see their eyes. You can always see their eyes. And that's like, what that's I say. Cool. And what do they do every time before they drop? Yeah, they do their cacao. Oh, oh, yeah. There's a right. noise. <laughs> Every time. So all you do is you step to the left. It's a timing thing. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, you guys definitely aren't novices by any stretch. So <laughs> some of the people that, that play at the conventions, you know, they give us feedback. They're like, oh, those birds are too hard. You, you know, you can't see them. But I really like that because the, the eyes, just seeing the eyes are the creepiest thing in the whole game to me. Also, at, keep in mind, when you're at a convention, there's so much going on that they're half distracted when they're playing at a convention. Yeah, when that's a good when, point. When, yeah. Yeah. when we're at our home, when we're at our home, we hear everything, you're concentrating, you're paying attention. It's it's a different way to play. That's the other like, running joke is like the birds and bats, you know, like everyone hates birds and bats. Yeah. Right? It's this yeah. classic. Like, I can't stand them. Yeah. But that's what makes it great. It's a small sprite that moves fast. You can't predict it as much, and that's what makes that level from, like, oh, I've only played it a few times to, like, I've played it a bunch of times. And I think there's some reward to that. If it's too easy, then it's not fun at all anyway. Oh, I agree. You don't have that. Yeah, you don't have that, like, yes, I got it. Yeah. That's what we felt like. That was a high point for one of your uh, sprite creations. The, the birds, the, the crows are the best. Uh, you know, they're one of the, my favorite enemies. They are, me too. Oh, oh, yeah, definitely do not let a novice change that for you. (laughs) Because the thing is, is that if you remove those, 
things become easier. Like it'd be like, oh, yeah. let's let's change this so the ghosts don't come at you from an odd angle, and you actually have to move and manipulate them when they're coming from the bottom. Like, no, keep it difficult. Like, <laughs> there's there's something yeah. about that. Yeah, and this actually leads us perfectly into the last level because there's the platforming cliffs and crows Ooh. are everywhere. Yes, yes, indeed. The the last level is the first time that you'll meet ghosts and crows uh, at the same time. Yes, it's, yeah. it's an it's onslaught. It's pretty intense. The, yeah, the, it the, is the entire onslaught. game kind of builds because, like you were saying, it gets a little more difficult once you hit the birds and then... The next level, the, clown, the, the kid gloves come off. And after you beat the scarecrows, then you start hitting combo. You start hitting mm-hmm. the combo of the zombies and the birds or the zombies and the and the ghosts. And once you hit that last level, man, it's everything. It's on. Right. And just like so you guys know, uh, early on we had we knew you know we were limited to a certain number of enemies of unique enemies just because you could only have obviously so many uh many so many sprite graphics yeah uh-huh. and so we had to you know meticulously plan the order of meeting the enemies and how they were going to how they acted on screen together so it's like a completely different dynamic when there's a ghost and a zombie on screen than when there's a ghost and a crow on the screen you have to play the game differently so we had to kind of with the limited number of enemies that we could use we had to like you were saying build the game in a progressive in a difficulty progression that kind of made sense but that made it challenging and so that was one of the kind of the fun things for us to do was like really learn how the different enemies played on screen together and then of course you get to the neighborhood and now you have that's you have all that you the neighborhood dog comes in you know the ghost house so you thought you had seen all the enemies to this point but then bam you're hit with this thing that flies across the screen at you super fast yeah reflexes yeah and you exactly. have to deal with the ghosts at the same time and the pumpkins, the jumpkins, <laughs> the jumpkins, <laughs> cool, nice. the jumpkins. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the the interesting aspect too is that you guys avoided the whole um, Nintendo style palette swap enemy change too, where you have a green turtle and a red turtle, and they both have different aspects. I kind of oh, like yeah. that you didn't do that, and then all of a sudden there's a blue ghost, and he moves in different directions. Yeah. The only time the only time we did that is uh, in the library at the school for the card catalog. The ghost yes. is gray instead of white, but it's it's the same thing. It's just because we it was in a darker environment. We thought it would look cool to use gray. Oh no, cool. yeah, that was outstanding. Awesome detail right there. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the library. Oh yeah, it's a throwback levels. That's the thing about every level has like multiple aspects because I'm assuming that you guys have a personal stake in some of these like. Just like with the birds, probably like something with the library or oh, yeah. other aspects. Oh yeah, and, and but but the, but like I was saying, it took me to Ghostbusters. <laughs> like that explains why in Zelda, you know, there's a blue and a red octo rock and a blue and a red uh, dark nut or whatever, because mm-hmm. they could only use so many, so they had to just yeah, like, they were limited. They had yeah, interesting. I didn't know about that. You only could work with like so much. Oh yeah, you have a you have a pal. It's like yeah. Play-Doh, I guess. Yeah, or, or like Legos, you only have so many bricks to play with. Yeah, it's so That's restrictive. The other aspect too is that your sprites in Haunted are a little bit besides for like the birds, they're a little bit larger, so you're essentially using like two Zelda enemies for one. Oh yeah, 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 cuz a lot of them are the same size as Donnie where they're two tiles wide and four tiles high. So that's eight sprite tiles, uh-huh. you know, used for for one enemy and uh it's you know you're, you're you only get 64 on screen at any one given time and once you get eight sprites on a scan line you start to get flickering mm-hmm. so it's you know you just have to be really judicious about how you do things people have no clue about that stuff that's huge i used to notice in certain like nintendo games where they would recycle like legs or hands mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. I, I think what is it the bushes in mario brothers are also the right. clouds exactly the color yeah, like, they do that kind of <laughs> shit, so you'll have a different head, and it'll be a different enemy. And you guys didn't do that with yours, which is great, because it gives you a different flavor. It gives it more of a unique aspect to it, instead of just recycling, reusing sprites, which would be, like, a early-generation Nintendo game versus, like, a newer-generation Nintendo game. Hmm. Yeah, again, thanks for picking up on that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just the different, the little aspects, the little nuances that, you know, are great. 
Well, the one thing I was thinking, like, with the Guinies and Zelda, you could have, like, your squad leader, too. You know, your, your, like, squad leader ghost and then his, like, minions behind him. You could make that work in a certain way, I guess, too. That's the thing, too. You could go anywhere with it, so it's great. But yeah. I thought there, I thought there was the right amount of, of bad guys. And, it, again, it's like Castlevania. I think it's, like, almost the exact amount of bad guys are in that game. Just enough to where you can master each of them and it doesn't get, like, too much. Because some games have a lot of different enemies and it's, I don't know. Kind of overkill? Yeah, or it feels like you've lost the, um, like, what we're trying to do here. You know, it's it's like reading a book on a certain topic, and all of a sudden this other topic comes in, like, just stay on this same road, you know, you just stayed on that path, and that's what I like, too. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. The consistency, you know, like, so when you see that guy, you know, like in Castlevania 3, now we're playing the sequel here, and we see the hunchback again, or we see the the skeleton again, it's like, oh, you again, you know? Or it, maybe it, the skeleton has a whip this time. Oh, so you've upgraded a little bit. Yeah. That's cool, too. A little bit of progression in enemies. Yeah, the evolution of the character. Right, I like when there's a progression to the enemies, yeah. The, the one thing, when you were talking about the Guinies, um, that was the other yeah. side of glitching that I was fucking around with with the game, is leading birds throughout stages and causing items and sprites and things to glitch out delete things enemies wouldn't respond correctly i was purposely doing that shit just try- like especially when you're leading the birds across the pumpkins the jumpkins right because <laughs> like half the jumpkins wouldn't jump uh the the um the items wouldn't show up and if you like killed the bird the item would show up though yeah, so the, the way that the, the sprites render on screen is kind of tricky, and you know, Damien would be the guy to talk to about that, exactly how it works, uh, you know, programmatically. But it, again, it's just a, um, one of the restrictions about you can only have so many sprites on screen at one time. So it's like, how do you want to handle that? Do you want to have if somebody does what you're saying, Jeff, and, and leads a sprite to a part of the game where you weren't expecting that sprite to be? What do you want to do? Just have the first sprite disappear or have the last sprite not render on screen? You know, it's, yeah. it's like a trade-off. A give and take. Right. Yeah. The way that you yeah. did it was perfect and a great idea because I was able mm-hmm. to use that in my strategy. Cool. Because, I mean, I lead him over and then I can use that to go through the level a little quicker. Right, right. Because you can force things to not appear. Or not obstruct my path. <laughs> like mm-hmm. Ninja Gaiden. Yeah. We'll have exactly. to have Jeffrey write the strategy guide, Greg. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Dude, that'd be sick. Yeah, I mean, we could cool. we could definitely dig in deep. I'd need lots of lots of screenshots. Hey, that's another book for you, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. There it is. You're Don an author. Deal. There you go, brother. No, million million book man. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well add another one to the stack. Right. <laughs> well, we'll see how this super nest shit goes. It'll be fucking crazy. You're gonna do great. <laughs> oh yeah, that's gonna be awesome. Oh, God. Yeah, slam dunk. They made a mistake at too many games, which I assume will be done by the time this episode airs. Is They put us in panel three, which is a small room, and we got a, I got a bunch of YouTubers on, that are co- contributing to my book coming there into my panel, and I already warned them. They didn't put us in the big room. They're, they're screwed. <laughs> We're going to destroy the place. <laughs> Who do you have coming, Jeff? Um, it's going to be Sean Long from Retro Gaming Tube 85 and Dean Dave, who recently had a little controversy with the old Pat the NES Punk, because they did the dumpster mm-hmm. dive and resold the stuff they took out of a GameStop dumpster back to GameStop. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and there was right. a little controversy thing to it. <laughs> oh, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, I didn't hear about that either. And then Pat on his podcast essentially called them douchebags, and then they did a video oh, response... Shit. Having a, a Pat oh. Dodge shrine behind them and saying, "Sorry, ca- sorry, Pat, we won't, <laughs> we won't do anything to anger you." Like, <laughs> it was hilarious. It's getting all dramatic and shit. <laughs> well, like Pat's podcast, he's he's attacking different groups now just to get views and drama. It's it is what it is. Uh-huh. Yeah, that'll be cool, though, Jeff, to have... I mean, it, it, it'll add an element of chaos to have more people in a small room. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you yeah. might, you might get some fun things to happen. All right, That's awkward good is good. Well, to, to put things into perspective, last year, when I launched the Nintendo book, I was virtually unknown. We just had little podcasts where we had our few people listening. 
we didn't we didn't get to make it to too many games last year. Um, yeah, yeah, you guys were, I think, saying that you didn't go last year. And last year, I didn't have a booth. I walked around and just bullshitted with people. Um, I launched the Kickstarter at too many games, and I was 75% funded before the second day or something. Nice. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I, I was an unknown, so it was, like, it was crazy. This year, I got collaborations. I've already have people that have, you know, are already backers and things. And, you know, there's it's a different world this year. So it should be freaking crazy. It should be fun as shit. And, I mean, you guys will be there, so we'll all be hanging out and playing some Haunted Halloween 85. Oh, yeah, that'll be a great time. That We can we can bounce ideas about the game off of each other uh, oh, yeah. at, at too many games. That'll be cool. And, and we'll ruin kids' dreams and nightmares with these birds. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Need to have Greg mode ready, ready for too many games and ruin some kids' lives. <laughs> if we didn't have – if we weren't doing 86 right now, I would definitely jump on that. I think in 86 you need to do like a, a bonus mode or something where you just go into a room and you're onslaughted by birds nonstop endlessly, like multiple birds. That would be like a cool like game. You see how many you can kill? <laughs> see how many you can kill in a row? It's funny that you guys mentioned that because Tim and I talked about doing just a quick follow-up to Haunted where we were going to call it Haunted Onslaught and it was just going to be enemies coming at you you know, just just for people to have fun beating the shit out of a million enemies. Yeah, and keeping That's track of their stats. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. I love it. I love the stat thing. Yeah, the stats are key. Yeah, the high score, fun. Like, right. Yeah, like with that one beer slinger game, we wish you could just keep playing into infinity like Tapper. Yeah, I don't know if you heard about beer slinger on the, the NES Homebrew beer slinger. Yeah, but we know Bill. Bill Hecklick. Well, yeah, because when it, when it came out, I got it. And the first time I played it, I completely mastered it and didn't die once. And I beat the game. Oh, and I was geez. like, what the fuck? This is it? Like, it needs to repeat and just the score needs to keep going. And then, like, it could go for high scores. It could be a Twink Galaxies game. It would be awesome. Yeah. And, yeah. and Bill was like, ah, I'm just making games. I'm not trying to make good games. That's what he told me. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I read his email on the podcast. I'm like, I couldn't believe that, that you know, somebody's releasing something and they don't want to take the extra little bit to just implement you know a routine that's why you need those team members to push you he was just saying like these are novelty though yeah 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 he bill lives actually 15 minutes from me oh nice. Uh, so i you know i can like talk to him um on a regular basis but he oh, wow. basically <laughs> said that like he just wants to he was just trying to make something that was fun and his thing was about getting people into the games you know like get your character the in, personalization in the yeah, the yeah, personalization, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that's more the angle that, that he was kind of going for. Yeah, it's just like we come from it from like a, a gamer perspective when we're playing it. And we're like, damn, it's just so close to being like excellent, an excellent arcade game. Mm-hmm. Like like for you guys, you added in Kill Count right there. So if I want to, I can yeah. go through it, speedrun. I can go through and just try to rack up as many kills as possible. And I can always have a goal. You can do both, most and least Kill Count. So that's yeah. two different, like, high-score things. Yeah, so we've been playing it on what we call uh, pacifist mode. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Thomas and I, where we try to go through and not kill anything. Yeah, that's the hardest, probably, of all. Yeah, especially when you get to the uh, card catalog. Um, and, and again, it's kind of exploiting that uh, that thing you were talking about, Jeff, with the crows. If yeah. Once you get five ghosts on screen at one time, no more will spawn. So... You have to run around the screen, get five ghosts onto the screen without killing any of them, and then you can start hitting the eyes of the catalog to get past it without killing anything. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> it is pretty cool to watch. That's amazing. That is a great idea <laughs> yeah. right there. <laughs> it, I mean, you'll tear your hair out trying to do it. So, so one aspect, if you guys end up doing the Haunted Onslaught game, um, you could work into like a haunted world championships cartridge where you actually have a competition going on for, you know, your, your company, your website, whatever. Like if you go to enough conventions, you start running a competition year round and give away prizes of just games. Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic idea. Cause they actually, uh, uh, when we were at PAX East, well, when we were at PAX South, I met the guys who run the, um, the retro arcade there yeah. and, 
that, you know, they were like, oh, give us a copy of Haunted, you know, we'll do a tournament at PAX East. And we just weren't able to put it together in time. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, maybe if we do West or something like that, you know, we could get a, a good Haunted tournament going. And like you're saying, Jeff, if people are interested, well, you know, we'd love to do anything like that. Well, because my thing is, is that, like, you guys had people constantly at Midwest playing the game. If there were some stakes to it, I think it would be a huge, like, there'd be huge attention to your guys' booth. Yeah, I think Onslaught would be really awesome for that setting. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I mean, I had guys uh, coming at me for Super Nintendo to do a Super Nintendo World Championships, Homebrew World Championships, and... I just really didn't want to associate with a Super Nintendo game for this book like I did the last one. Because essentially, like, I was like, well, the guy's programming the game for the Nintendo, so it's like he missed his deadline for Sly Dog, and now we're just, like, kind of waiting for the game. But it's a he's programming a fucking role-playing game. So it's like it's yeah. it was some one of those things where he's, he's hitting freaking issues and errors and things he didn't expect so yeah and i i completely understand it but i have to constantly explain the backers like oh no he's he's programming a role-playing game from scratch with brand new mechanics never been done it's a different type of fighting yeah, that, i mean that's an insane challenge yeah very much and he came up with the complete idea of black box challenge and it was like insane on his aspect um, he, he's been posting updates and things too. I think he posted a video recently of just basically how the dialogue is going to work and some certain characters are going to have multiple dialogue aspects and things. But like for the Super Nintendo aspect, I'm like, I really don't want to jump down that rabbit hole for two projects in a row and turn into like Mighty Number no. 9 where it's never coming out. Yeah. Because like, like my books have been out since August, the Nintendo books. Like, and I think all backers, except for 20, I think there's 20 backers that don't have their, their books yet. Cause they're, they want to get the books with the games. I, mm. I've offered everybody to get their books early. So it's like, it's definitely interesting for sure, because I don't really want to jump down that rabbit hole. And I know, I know we've been talking about the, um, my homebrew book and, and maybe doing something cool for that fucking book. Well, we should. Yeah. Yeah, that would be awesome. And, and that aspect, like, I haven't even announced it. And, I mean, I could talk about it on here. But, like, yeah. jumping into it with the, the card and sticker aspect where there's going to be essentially, like, Walter Day's Twin Galaxies cards, but for NES homebrewers. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. That's solid. Oh, it's going to fucking get crazy. And I actually, for too many games, I should have my first trading cards. They're just going to be promo cards for the uh, Super Nintendo launch. I'm just doing it. For example, for samples to prepare mm. for quality for the, for the homebrew book, I'm also going to have Super Nintendo boxes that are just promo boxes. Even though I'm not doing a game, it should, should confuse the fuck out of people. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> it's just going to be the book. It's just the book though. But basically, um, I go through Vince, Uncle Tusk, and he does all my uh, all my production because his his fucking quality is perfect. Oh, he's the man. Oh, oh he does such great stuff. And I mean, he's yeah. he's I've known him for years. So, like, he, me and him are, go way back, and at Portland, I'm going to be helping him with his Tetris World Championships, too. Nice. Yeah, I've never met the dude, but, man, his, the quality of his product speaks for itself. Me and him go so far back just from an online relationship. It's it's madness. Yeah. Fucking crazy. Cause, I mean, I've hung out with you guys at Midwest Gaming. Like, like, like I've never seen him. Like, it's craziness, you know? Yeah. Thank you for listening to VGBS. We appreciate everybody taking the time to get through this whole uh, arduous podcast. We love it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you want to correspond with us, you can email us at vgbspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a phone number. It is 262264BGBS. You can leave us a voicemail, shoot us a text message. Um, whatever you want to do, correspond. Also, comment on us. Shoot us a message on Facebook, Twitter, Google+. We love hearing what people um, think about the podcast. All right, see you later. Woo! Later!